The scripture reading this morning is taken from John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. However you do that, smartphone, sacred book, just please open them to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. That's where we're going to be headed in a few moments. I have some family and friends who are here with me this morning because this is my first out-of-the-gate preaching as your senior minister, and I am thrilled that they are here. I've got my um, friends from Fredericksburg, uh, from the Oak Hills family there that have come. I've got some friends here who are lifelong friends of mine. I'm 21 years, 23 years. That's pretty much lifelong in my book. Uh, they're living in Bandera, Texas, and they came over this morning to be a part of this. But my honored guests are my mom and dad, and they're right here. I'm not going to ask them to stand. But would you give them a warm KCC welcome? And let me just say, it is good to get started. I've been needing to say that for a long time. Wow. It's hard for me to sit still. It's hard for me to stand still in one place today. Because I am thrilled to be your new minister. I am thrilled to have a part in everything that God has dreamed for this church here. And it said this morning that we're stepping into a new chapter. I hope it's one of the greatest chapters of the life of this church. But I need to come clean. I need to start by letting you know probably what some of you suspected is true. I have an agenda. I do. Coaches, when they start with a new team, have an agenda. Parents, when they bring a child into the world, have an agenda. Presidents, when they start their new terms, have an agenda. Kids, when there's something that they want for Christmas, usually have an agenda. I read about a fourth grader this last week who made me smile. He got his Black Friday ads like a lot of you did and saw within them a watch he wanted for Christmas. And so he began to let his parents know with all of his heart that he really wanted a watch for Christmas every day. At almost every opportunity, he let mom or dad know, I really want a watch for Christmas to the point that finally dad said, listen to me. If you bring up watch one more time in this household, there's one gift you will not be getting for Christmas. And he said, yes, sir. And he was good to that. Then came Christmas Eve dinner. And they were about ready to say the family blessing when their fourth grader raised up his hand and said, do you mind if I quote a scripture, Dad? And Dad said, well, sure. And so he stood and said, Mark chapter 13 and verse 37. And Jesus said to all the disciples, what I say to you, I say to all, watch. <laughs> I don't know whether he got his watch for Christmas, but I like his style. He had an agenda and he was not afraid to make it known. Well, coaches and presidents and even kids at Christmas do that at times. Well, this preacher is about to do it right now. I have an agenda and here it is. I want you to live. 
I want you to live. I want you to all out, no holds barred, live. I refuse as your senior minister to let you as an individual or as a church settle for just existing. To just settle for treading water. To just settle for getting by in your marriage, in your parenting, in your health, in your discipleship. I have no choice in the matter. Because this is Jesus' church and he demands that. Jesus made it clear that he came to bring you life, as Stan just read a few moments ago. And not just existing life or settling life or getting by life. But life to the full. Life abundantly. When he chose to hang on himself, his very own personal moniker, here's what he chose. You know it. He said, I am the way, the truth, say it with me, and the life. That's who I am. The way, the truth, and the life. In one of his most memorable sermons that he ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus records our existence narrowed down comes to this. It's the choice of two roads. One that leads to heartache and destruction. And it is a broad, wide, easy road. And most of humanity chooses that. And then he speaks of another one. One that is narrow. One that is far less traveled. Primarily because it is a difficult one. He makes no bones about it. It is difficult to navigate. But nonetheless, Jesus promises, leads to life. Now, if that's not enough to help you understand why this is my agenda. Then I want you to read a scripture with me that I think makes it a little bit more clear that this isn't just an offer that Jesus makes us. It's something he expects of those that wear his church. If Jesus gives us his mission statement in John chapter 10, as Stan read a few moments ago, and I believe he does in microcosm. He gives us his action steps here in first Peter chapter three and verse 10. And I think if followed, we'll ensure you that every day of living is just that. Living. Let's read the Bible. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Church, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Let's bow. Father, we realize that we are not alone today. We're not the only ones desiring to worship you here in this community, to hear from your word, to be encouraged and challenged by it, to be better for having been together today. You have disciples all over Kerrville who are offering you praise, sharing in the Lord's Supper and desiring to hear from your word. We want to join our hearts to theirs and ask you to help please make us one. Help us focus on more that we have in common than the things that we do not. And particularly this morning, we want to lift up our brothers and sisters at First Baptist Church. Please bless them in their efforts to worship and model their lives after you as we hope you do so with us. Now, you know us. We are skeptical people. We are stubborn to boot. And even when we know that we're reading the Bible, we hear offers like the one that you make in First Peter to have a good life and great days. And we are first distrustful. Forgive us that we're cynical. But we have been misled so often to the point that we're jaded. 
we believe in you. We believe in your word, but we're asking you also to help our unbelief. For some of us, please, God, let this be the day that we drew the line in the sand and we took necessary steps to experience all of the life that you've dreamed of for us to live in. Through Jesus, the one who is the way, who is the truth, and who is the life we pray in all the church said. Amen. This scripture gets me. I mean, it grabs me. Because <laughs> I want to I have good days. Even better, I want to have a great life. But there's a catch, right? We've been made to be suspicious of grand promises like this before because advertisers are a part of our daily lives. You've heard stuff like this. If you want to lose weight and keep it off, and it's almost like you check out, right? Blah, 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 blah. If you would like to regrow your hair, then you need to blah, 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 blah. If you'd like to have the face of a 20-year-old, then you need to blah, 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 blah. How many infomercials have started out in similar ways, promising much and delivering little? We have been so overpromised as a society and seen them underdelivered to us that we are cynical and we are suspicious so that when even someone's quoting directly from God's living word, we're not sure. And I want you to know I get that. But I'm not backing off. Besides, this isn't any new revelation. That God wants us to have a full and significant and meaningful life. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah told us before Jesus ever walked the streets of Galilee in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but plans to give you hope and a great future. Now, what we just read in 1 Peter, some of you may not know, but if you looked in that little margin, you could find it out pretty quickly. Peter is quoting David in the Old Testament. It is a verbatim quote that he brings forward into the New Testament. And so this is something that God's always had at his heart. Hear me clearly. God has always been pro-life. Always. The creator of life has always desired for his children to enjoy life to the full. And it's important for you to know that. Especially for the moment. Life's not going at all the way you hoped it would. Please hear me. God doesn't want you to think it's not because he doesn't want you to enjoy the fullest life possible. Don't let Satan, don't dare let him steal that truth from you. But there may be some specific things that are holding you back that you're responsible for. The Bible makes it clear, listen to me. God is for me. Do you believe that, church? Would you say that with me? God is for me. Now let the kids over there in worship hear us, okay? Here we go. God is for me. I love your Bible school voices. If you don't get anything else from what I say today, please at least walk out of here with that singular, powerful truth. Because on this journey of life, that's going to have its twists and turns in the road and outright head-on collisions. You need to know that God's for you. Always. But the truth of God's intention and desire to see you live life to the full comes with some conditions. 
While God is for me, you need to also hear this. He will not do it all for you. Explain this way. God's love for me is unconditional. But God's life for me is totally conditional. Now, if you're a parent, you understand the truth that's behind this great theological truth. I love my kids with a love that is absolutely indescribable and absolutely unquenchable. They don't have to perform to get it. They don't have to have a certain amount of good looks to win it. They don't have to have a certain amount of intelligence to qualify for it. I love them. And it's absolutely unconditional, just like the Father's love. But when it comes to living in this world, my girls, at best, can only be assisted by me. I cannot live their lives for them. I can't make their choices for them. As a matter of fact, I don't want to. Parents say amen. I don't want to make their choices for them. And they're finding out very quickly that the choices that they're making have consequences both good and bad. We're going to look at this more next week in next week's lesson. But in a very specific way, I want you to understand that God, in dealing with us human beings, has chosen to love us unconditionally. And yet, however, to make sure that this life that we live in is totally conditional. Let me see if I can explain it another way. Huge theological truth here. So listen up. God is going to promise us in his word some very specific things that he wants us to enjoy in this life. Then he is going to empower us with resources and the tools needed to live in those promises. But he's going to ask you to participate if you're going to enjoy them. Does that make sense? God is going to promise us a great deal about how we can live in him forever. And he's going to empower us with the tools and resources needed to to live out those promises. But we got to participate. He doesn't make anybody participate against their will. Now, that is a huge foundational truth that for the next three weeks we're going to springboard off of. But let's get specific, okay, about this great life. Because I love preaching sermons that can, can start making a difference in your life. Immediately. Here we go. If you want to have a great day starting when you walk out the door for the rest of your life, you need to know this. It matters what you say. It matters what you say. That's what Peter's trying to convince. Now, if I were to have you sit down and to draw up a list of the things and say, okay, now I want you to think of three things that you would write down that would for sure make the list of how God would want you to have a great life and great days. It would be... Would you start with the tongue? And you say, heavens no, Jimmy, because I don't like that. I don't, I, I don't do very well with that. Neither do most of us. But I want you to know if you want to get a handle on your life, you're going to have to get a handle on your tongue. And I can hear some of you thinking you'd have to start with this one, right? Afraid so. Do you struggle like I do with what comes out of your mouth? I'm afraid I'm a lot like a parrot that I read about who struggled with some of the things that came out of his mouth. His new owner brought him home and he was trying to teach some new phrases, some exciting phrases, some fun phrases. But his previous owner had taught him some other phrases, some ugly other phrases. The bird would say some of the most horrible things at the worst possible moment when company was over. He tried everything he could to try to break him from it. He would reward him when he said things right. He'd punish him when he said things wrong. He covered the cage. He withheld food. Well, finally, 
Finally, the owner got so aggravated one day because his mother was over and he let out a stream of profanities that would just chill you. And so without any reservation whatsoever, he took the parrot out of the cage, walked over to the freezer and shoved him in for about five minutes. (laughs) Pulled him out after it was over. Bird was shivering. He said, now do you understand I want you to stop using words like that? And the parrot didn't say a word. He just nodded his head like this. Are you going to ever say anything ugly like that ever again? And he just, "Mm." he put him back in his cage and was about to leave. And the parrot said, one thing, if you don't mind, back in the freezer, what did the turkey say? (laughs) Now, some of you have a quizzical look that will not come to you until you get to Acapulco's, all right? (laughs) Pretty foul humor, isn't it? Ooh. If you are looking to get a handle on your life, Peter says, the Spirit says, you're going to have to get a handle on your tongue. James would be the first to amen it. Here in James chapter 3 and verse 2, James says, this isn't up on the screen, so let me start it in. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Here's how James finishes it. Pay attention. My brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be. Amen? It shouldn't be. Powerful images James uses to make his point. He talks about a horse and how a bit in its mouth is able to direct one of the most powerful animals on the planet. He says your tongue is just like that bit. Control the tongue and you can control your life. He follows that with an illustration of a ship's rudder. Again, illustrating that something so small as a rudder can direct something 20 times its size. The point he's making is this. If you want to chart a new course for your marriage, a new course for your job, a new course for your friendships, Then remember the tongue. The tongue is a place to concentrate on. First stop and take a look at where what you're saying is leading you. The last metaphor James uses is that of fire. Wow. We have seen in Texas how quickly a small fire can be responsible for huge damage. All I have to say to most of you is, bass drop. Remember a couple of summers ago? Our minds are still fresh with the devastation. Gail and I had a chance to drive through Bastrop not too long ago because of a, a, a preaching gig down in El Campo. 
to see what took hundreds of years to grow destroyed in a matter of days. Some of it in hours was devastating. And all because of carelessness. Human carelessness. But we've seen it too. How quickly the best of friendships can be torched. The strongest of marriages can be scorched. Churches that took absolutely decades to build, destroyed in a matter of days, all because of hurtful, destructive, careless words. Not only have we seen the devastation that a tongue on fire has caused. We've been responsible. Every single one of us in this room has been a verbal arsonist. Amen. Sorry to have to encourage you to confess it. But when we confess our sins to one another, healing can begin, James says. I have done things that I wished I could have undone, but a far longer list of destruction is made up of the things that I wished I could have left unsaid. If you're honestly looking for ways to drastically change your life, church, you could not start in a more crucial area. And James is so convinced of the importance of it that he says boldly, listen to these words in James chapter 1 and verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is, say the last word, worthless. Wow. Is that cutting to the chase or what? I need to hear the significance of that. My words are that weighty. However, here's the good news. I can choose my words to bless and not burn. Or Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 18, I can use my words to bring healing to others instead of sword thrust to others. One of another one of Proverbs writings is this life and death are in the tongue. Life and death are in the tongue. Can I share with you an example of both? First, the death. My only stint in youth ministry came the summer of my junior year in college. I had the opportunity to intern with the Van Church of Christ. Anybody know where Van, Texas is? Ah, I see the hands go, yeah. Anybody don't have a clue where Van, Texas is? Ah, most of you. It's next to Ben Wheeler. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's over by Tyler. It was a great summer. From the feedback from the elders and the parents, it seemed to be a fruitful summer. That's why what one member said to me after my very last lesson was like a sword thrust to the abdomen. I delivered my closing words to the church based on Solomon's closing words in the book of Ecclesiastes. Showing that after Solomon had tried learning and laughter and lust and leisure and liquor, he concluded that the whole duty of man is summed up in this one statement. Fear God. And keep his commandments. It was a section on lust that was a source of my brother's hurtful remarks. In that section, I had turned to the youth group. And our youth group sat kind of right over here in this upfront section there in Van, Texas. But I turned to them. And I was making a point that sex was designed by God himself. But that sex outside of marriage relationship was most often based in lust, not in love. I told the youth group that by God's grace and strength, I was still a virgin. And that in a few weeks when Gail and I were married, I would have the chance to experience the gift from God in the way that he intended it with the foundation of love, not lust. 
When the service was over, I was being thanked and complimented by the, the brothers and sisters there about the message. When a brother came up in the middle of the church, literally where the circle is there in our church, and in the middle of the aisle, said to me these words that I'll never forget. I guess you know that your summer just went down the tubes with that message. I didn't know what to say. I said, was there a particular part of the message that you were referring to? And he said, yes. When you told the entire church you couldn't wait to have sex with your wife. I didn't say that. Now, it was true. But I didn't say that. My face flushed and my fist started to clench. I knew that they were clenching because a brother leaned in and said, Jimmy, breathe. And unclench your fists. And they literally, physically moved me out of the auditorium to outside. Where they began to encourage me saying, that may have been his opinion, but it is not the majority. We guarantee you. Wow. Like a sword thrust to the abdomen. Some of you have experienced those. And I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. God hated that you had to hear those things. Those are the sword thrusts. But then there's the other. The words that are healing to the soul. I remember a phone call that brought the healing. It was one of those phone calls that you remember where you were standing. What you were wearing. What the temperature was. When it came. And you remember those words because they mark your life for good. Not bad. My dad was on the other end of the line and he said, I've called to apologize. I'm calling all the kids, but I had to start with you. And his voice buckled. I just didn't know. Is what he said. I said, you didn't know what, Dad? He said, I was at a retreat this weekend with the Oak Hills Church. And for the first time in my life, Jimmy, I get it. I get it. God really loves me. Not just puts up with me, but loves me. Of all the messages Jesus came to share, it was that one he said. He loves me, and I get it. All these years you've tried to share with me the excitement that you had for Jesus, enough that you would want to give your whole life to the ministry of Jesus. And I didn't understand it, but I get it now. He said, you've been the spiritual leader of our home for the last 15 plus years, and I'm calling not to take your place. to let you know I'd like to come alongside. Words can be so hurtful. Oh, but words can be so healing. What kind are you known for? What kind are you known for? Life and death are in the tongue. What are you known for from your tongue? Peter says, if you want to have good days and a good life, don't let things come from your tongue that are demeaning. That's where he starts. Don't be cruel. Don't belittle. Don't humiliate. Don't tear down. Don't make someone look smaller to you and then say, I was just kidding. It doesn't help. Once the sword's been thrust in, it doesn't help. I'm just kidding. 
All of that to make you look taller, all of it to make you look stronger, that's not the way of Jesus, and it's not the way to live. Don't be demeaning. And then Peter says, don't be deceiving. Don't purposely mislead. Don't cover up. Don't misinform with the intent to make you look better. Your life won't be better, he says. It'll be worse. Living a lie is a misnomer. It's anything but living. Lance Armstrong is finding that out as we speak. Isn't that the truth? But we all know that tragedy. When the lie is finally exposed, it's awful. We do, we do it all the time in the silliest of ways. They're not white lies. They're little black lies that lead to more lies, that lead to death. Have you seen so-and-so movie and you say, yes. Have you heard so-and-so song and we... Haven't? And we say, yes. Do you remember me? And I say, no. Because I've read the sermon. But I used to say, yes. We had 7,000 visitors come to Ruidoso in an entire year. And I'd have people walk up to me and they'd say, remember me? And I'm telling you, there were occasions that I would say, yes. Glad you're back. I didn't have a clue who I was looking at. Because I thought to say no would make me look smaller in their eyes. Like I was less in their eyes. Like I cared less. When there's no way in the world. I can't even remember 400 names, let alone 7,000. I'm learning not to be deceptive anymore. And I'm living more. Even when someone comes to me with something that I was supposed to have done for them and says, have you gotten that done? There were times in my life I would say yes when I had and I'd rush home and get it done. You done that one? Mm, Is that a yes or a no? Mm. I want Peggy and the elders and I want Greg to understand. I'm not going to get some things done on time. So when you ask me, did you get that done? You know what I'm going to tell you? Sorry, you confused me with someone competent. (laughs) I mismanaged my time. I don't get things done. I overpromise and I sometimes underdeliver. And I'm trying to change, but I'm just not going to meet some deadlines. I'm not going to get some things done. And so I'm learning to say, sorry, just incompetent. Can I have another hour? Can I have another day? And you know what usually they say? Sure. I like living. And Peter says you can live if you don't go around using your tongue to say things demeaning, and especially if you don't say things that are deceptive. I love what Tom Hanks says. The best way to control how people see you, just be honest. Because you're always in control then. I like that. All right, Jimmy. You've convinced me. I'd like to try to change it, but didn't I just hear James say that No one can tame the tongue? (laughs) Well, he's right. No human being can tame the tongue. But you know who can? God can. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 37, the Bible says, What is impossible with man is absolutely possible with who? With God. Absolutely possible with Him. If you're in Christ, and the Spirit's in the house, and when the Spirit's in the house, it's a different house. It's a different house. Ezekiel 36 and verse 26, or chapter 36, 26, promises this. 
That there would come a time when God would make it possible for us to have not just a better heart, but a new heart and a new spirit. And if that's true, then if he's in you, you can learn to use your tongue for the building up and not the tearing down. How? Three quick ways and we're done. Number one, make it a priority. Significant life change rarely happens by accident. Agree? Significant life change rarely happens by accident. It begins when you determine it needs to be a priority. This is essential, not optional, essential equipment. And then you've got to get intentional, which leads to point number two. You make it a petition, and here's where you start. James, I love James. He's so right to the point. You don't have because you don't ask. So ask. Here's the prayer. Psalms 141 and verse 3. If you want to write it down and stick it to your bathroom mirror. David prayed it. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I love that. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord, and keep watch over the door of my lips. It's a good way to start the day. God knows how impossible it is for us, most of us, to get a handle on our tongue. And so he didn't leave us to get this right on our own. The spirit that raised Jesus Christ is in you. Hear me, church. The same spirit that gave life to the body of Jesus can give life to your tongue. So ask him. And I might add to that, ask others to join you. That's why I love having this invitation time at the end of these messages like this. I don't want you walking out of here trying to do even the prayer part on your own. Come find somebody. It would be a privilege to join you and say, Lord, please set a guard over my mouth and over my lips this week. Help me, Father, speak life and not death into people's lives. I'd be honored to pray that with you. And lastly, make it your practice. I work on taking care of my teeth regularly. I work on taking care of my body regularly, even though that doesn't show. I work on taking care of my job regularly. The elders will be glad to hear that. And I work on taking care of my marriage regularly. At times, I'm not very good at any of those. At times. I can be very negligent in those, to be truthful. But I work specifically on them almost daily. All of those. Because I'm convinced they matter. They matter. How I hope for your sake and for the life of your family that you determine that what comes out of your mouth matters, that it matters what, not just you say, what I say. It matters what I say. If you believe that, would you say that with me? It matters what I say. I hope you believe that enough to petition God for that and then to do some practical work to follow through with it. Stickers on your bathroom mirror. Anything. Put them on your dash of your car to remind you. Setting something on your um, iPhone to remind you during the day. It just goes off and you go, oh yeah, remember your mouth, sportsman. There was a time in my life that I was extremely convicted of this. Here's the passage of scripture that grabbed my heart and I'll share it with you. It's not up on the screen. Let's do old school here. Ephesians 4 and verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Could that be connected? That every time that something comes out of my mouth that's gross instead of grace, that it causes the Spirit to just go, oh. 
I think so. That grabbed me. And I realized there was a whole lot more gross in my, my sportsman household than there was grace flowing, all right, the building up of one another. And so we put together the sportsman safe home agreement. I got a couple of these out there at the Welcome Center if you'd like to take one at your home and, and maybe formally to, to your own interest. But here's how it goes. All of us in the sportsman household agree to do our best to make our home a place where each of us feel safe, loved, and important, a place that all of us look forward to coming home to. Everyone who signs this agreement promises to never put anyone in our family down by calling them names or by using curse words or making fun of something that's a mistake. We may only offer criticism, number two, when it's asked for. I heard someone go, mm, that's a tough one. Number three, if we've been hurt or angered by one of our family members' words or actions, we will in as kind a way as possible let them know how we feel without violating rule number one. If, on any of our, if any of our actions or words cause a family member to feel embarrassed or sad, we will promise to apologize. And if it's a child, Tabitha or Lauren, put 25 cents in the ugly jar. If it's mom or dad, 50 cents. This is the original. And we all signed it. It worked so well in our house that after the first year, we were able to purchase a brand new minivan. <laughs> we are practicing people, not perfect people, okay? But we set out to practice this. It didn't make us perfect, but it helped make us better. And I think that's all Scott asking for today. Do you want to be better? Do you want to have more life beginning today than you had when you walked in here? Then please, remember... It matters what you say. It matters what you say. When you focus on that, that will come. That will come. If you've made some choices this morning with your words that have brought more hurt than they have healing, and that just breaks you. Can I remind you of some of the most healing words ever spoken? They were spoken from a cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And most of the time we don't, do we? And so this morning, if that's where you are, I just, wow, Jimmy, I've just, I'm just sorry. Would you find one of our shepherds at the back and just express that to them and say, I want to start over. This needs to be a drawing a line in the sand moment for me. My home is going to be a place of grace, not gross. My friendships are going to be a place of grace, not gross. My office is going to be a place of grace, not gross. Help me start over today. And if today's the day that you want the Spirit to move into the house so that you can have some help, I'm going to be right down front here. And we'll take you right back here. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we will bury you so that a new you can be birthed out of that. A new power and new strength to fulfill every dream, every promise God's ever made for you can be your start today. Church, let's stand, let's sing, and let's respond to this, all right? Let's go.